0: This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to PortlandDistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code TEN OFF, T E N O F F, for a ten percent discount at PortlandDistro.com. Fake records,
1: records, 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 records. Uh.
2: Good day, Ralph. How are How are you doing? I'm um, doing well. Let's Let's call it okay. Uh, a lot of shit happening. A lot of trimming the fat off things in my life that uh, I don't know. Kind of occupied times, and uh, yeah, I have to make better decisions at some points. And this doesn't so it's not supposed to sound negative. It's just like. I had too much stuff on my plate, so I got rid of some shit and uh, had to let some people go. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's stressful. Like I thought the beginning of the year would be easier, but just a lot going on right now.
0: Yeah. I think I understand what you're saying, and uh, I too off, have oftentimes fallen into those same uh, pitfalls that you describe. So yeah, I, I can relate.
2: Yeah, it's it's like I uh, I think a lot of of about like uh, validation of my existence, which sounds really heavy for the beginning of a podcast. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm in Germany. You say you're you're dancing on a lot of parties, you know, when you do like you have bands and you do podcasts and you do this and you do that, and at some point it's like just like there's a I have a job which is like really time consuming and a lot of other stuff that. Uh, I I just can't wrap it all around one finger at the moment, and so I'm yeah I have to think about like what parts can I let go and whatnot. Try to focus more on what's good for me, and because I mostly operate on the basis that I do everything for everybody else, and last thing I do is for me. So yeah, um, a lot of changes happening right now. But aside from that, I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing good uh, in general. I spent the entire week up
0: in uh, Grot- the greater Groton, Connecticut area for my job. And uh, the hotel was in uh, New London, Connecticut, which used to be the city that contained uh, the LNG Club, which is um, you know, a sort of popular spot that people played hardcore and metal shows at. And uh, I've never played there, nor have I been there. Ironically, you know, you would think that Mm -hmm. over the years of uh, doing all this that I would have played at least one show at the LNG, but I, I never have. Isn't that weird? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I I have these spots too. I mean, Germany is like comparable, like really way smaller than America, but still, there's these these towns where you always see announcements of shows, and you're like, why? Like in all these years, I've never played there. It's kind of odd. So, yeah, maybe there are just these spots that we will never fill in our touring schedule map.
0: Yeah, I uh, I got a chance to uh, have dinner with Randy Larson because um, he. He doesn't live close to that town either, but uh, we met up in uh, Willimantic, Connecticut, which is uh, another sort of uh, um, (laughs) heroin-devastated town, (laughs) but uh, we ate dinner at this nice uh, pub there and and had a good time hanging out, and uh, yeah, but mostly it was just bleakness. Uh, (laughs) The the first night I was there in the hotel, I'm like, "Ah, I was supposed to get a snowstorm, so I had dinner in the lounge and I just figured it'd be like a nice quiet night, but there was like these, these people there at the bar, just like raging hard on a Monday night, man. Wow. uh, Okay. They're (laughs) singing along to songs and drinking heavily. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a drag. So I made a point of, uh, not eating dinner in the hotel from the rest of the week.
2: (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, I had a, um, yesterday was my first, I call it uh, S- Solitude Saturday <laughs> um, in a really long time uh, because like there was, uh, there's documentary being made about the Ryan uh, metal scene, like from the area around here and Ultha got, filled, like with, there was filled, um, the camera team at the Unholy Passion Fest and they took some footage. And uh, Chris and I were supposed to get interviewed for that yesterday, but that fell through. Uh-huh. So then we had the podcast scheduled for today, which is a Sunday. Um, and I'm like, okay, so what now? It's like, okay, so it's my first Saturday where I have actually no appointments, nothing whatsoever. So uh, I went out and um, uh, went like, to the gym and had like a proper workout without any time pressure because there weren't, like, 100 things I had to take care of. Then I went into, like, an afternoon screening of Creed 3, which was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Again, fantastic movie. They're so cool and entertaining. Um, I should have watched it before I went to the gym, because, like, they're working out all the time, so I was motivated (laughs) to... Yeah, and then I went back home, and I was like, okay, now... and. I saw, like, because the cinema is in the middle of, like, of the raging part of Cologne, and it was a Saturday night, so I went out, I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck is happening here? And there's, like, the Frida bar, like, a bar where I used to DJ, but they're not allowed to have loud music anymore. So I was like, oh, should I go there? I'm like, nah, dude, like, right now, I just want to be alone. And, uh, yeah, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I succumbed and uh, bought a PlayStation 4 again, and... um, yeah, I'm in the middle of Last of Us Part Two, because uh, I played the first one some years back. Now the show got me hooked, and so now I'm playing Part Two, and it's just so fucking amazing. So I spent like four hours of playing PlayStation yesterday night, which was cool. Yeah,
0: you know, I um, I think I might have to uh, throw down and uh, get a. Get some kind of device to play games on because, uh, you know, anyone who's listened to the last few episodes, we had uh, Therese on and she works in the video game field and uh, she you know recommended I check some stuff out. And also uh, just the quality of the games now is just incredible, you know.
2: A s- a surreal man it's surreal like I dropped out after the PlayStation 2 and so I missed the whole whole shit where you could play online versus others um I, I'm still not I'm still not doing it but now it's like with the PlayStation 4 which now is already like and not outdated but like an old device because now there's the PlayStation 5 which is crazy expensive um But I bought like a PlayStation 2 when Danny and I separated and I had some time alone and I had fun, man. But like some of the games were so large and so complicated that I like I I forgot like where I was because I'm not the guy that plays every day. Like some of my kids in school, they're like on the console the whole time after school. So, like, I, I played The Witcher, which everybody told me is, like, the game that you should play. And it was fucking insanely cool, like, the graphics, the story. But then there was the quest and the subquest. The subquest had two other subquests. And then I dropped out for a week, and I was, like, started again. I was, like, I don't know where the hell I am and what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, then I, then I kicked out the PlayStation again. Got, got, like, another one a few, like, a year back or something, and I played The Last of Us. And it blew my mind because that game is fucking fantastic and so is the TV show. And now, like, watching the show, I'm like, oh, dude, I have some time. I need to, like, have some time by myself and, like, focus here. So I got one and it's, like, I paid 150 euros now for, a like, PlayStation 4. The game is, like, 20 euros, so I'm, like, you know, like, even if I, like, sell it, resell it after playing the game, I don't lose a lot of money, but it's fun and there's a new wrestling game coming out. So like, yeah, I'm going to keep it. Yeah. I think, um,
0: I think I'm sold on getting one of, one of those things. I think PlayStation is the way to go. That's what everyone's been telling me.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's the Xbox and this is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a spiritual thing for most people because a lot of the games are the same. I just like the operational the controllers better on the PlayStation. And now like then you can pay like here it's a fifty it's fifty euros per year for the PlayStation Network. And then you can just download like older games and like a lot of like the DIY people that like produce games, they put it online. There's a lot of a lot Lovecraftian horror games there and shit like this. So like, you know, they like can just like, oh, I need a game for the weekend and like, like pay five euros or something, download it. And it's actually pretty cool. And I mean, like you and I were both like responsible adults and we have like so much other stuff to do in the real world. So um, it's just like a fun thing. And it's like, I mean, Last of Us is like watching the show, just like playing. I have the easiest level. So I have enough ammunition. I just want to play the story, you know, like I don't need to thrill. Yeah, totally,
0: man. Yeah, this is, actually, it's funny. This weekend was the first time I actually had time on my to myself. I mean, uh, the last few weekends have been spent on a variety of different things. Uh, one of them, one of which was working on this uh, unnamed project that I'm really close to completing. It's another recording project that uh, I'm doing with my old, old drummer from an old, old band that I played with when I lived in Boston, uh, Brian Strawn. And uh, yeah, we have we recorded four songs in a proper studio up in Boston, and uh, I have to work on the vocals, that's the last component before we mix it, so I've been spending a lot of time with that. Uh, checked out... Justin's other band Putrescension last weekend and so I've been around a lot like out and about so this weekend was cool to Just stay home and especially after being a- away all last week, you know mm. But I just want to give a quick shout to um, speaking of side projects uh, The Scorpion Throne EP uh, Aptly titled one <laughs> Is uh <laughs> has been uh, released on cassette by Astralands. It's a, I, I believe they're a cassette-only label based out of upstate New York. And you can go to their Bandcamp page and order a cassette copy of the Scorpion Throne EP, if you so desire. Um, Mike Gungalvez did the layout for it. And it's just really cool artwork. Mike's a very talented guy. He also plays bass in Scorpion Throne as well as uh, Replicant. He's the singer in Putra Ascension, which is Justin's uh, other project. And he also is in uh, Windfarer, which is an
2: excellent Mm. band too. Mm -mm. So definitely check that out. Nice. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that new project. I mean, you told me a bit about the way it sounds. I'm uh, stoked. I can't wait to hear it once it's done.
0: It's way more like atmospheric, uh, slow. Um, there's really no fast parts, and which is funny because I realized how mostly um, the kind of tempos we do in in tombs is like the slowest song is like 125 BPM, and like a lot of our material is up around 200 BPM. And mm-hmm. I got used to you know very very accustomed to playing fast but then when you're playing these really slow
2: tempos it's it's very difficult to play slow yes. you know yeah yeah so. i i i fucked i fucked around with like some ideas for a funeral doom band at some point and dude, like having like you know like almost like 30 seconds in between the snare hits is uh sometimes difficult yeah 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 definitely and uh you know brian has
0: always been more of like a mid-tempo to slow drummer you know he he's mm-hmm. not really into playing fast like stuff and and he he had an easier time playing than i did actually
2: mm. but yeah you mind you live you learn and it makes like stuff that you play faster even better it's like kind of a trick that Manu told me It's like for the real fast stuff try to play at half the speed and play it cleanly and then just crank up the speed. So it's like how I learned to like tremolo like better at what I do. And I mean, he's like a guy who knows to play fast and slow. Yeah. So I trust his judgment and uh, yeah, that really helped me a lot. Yeah. So while,
0: while we're at it, let's uh, run down the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Uh, of course, on Mondays we got Brandon Legion, who brings us horror wolf six 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 on Tuesday we have the premiere extreme music podcast by way of Jackie Smith's into the necrosphere Wednesday is this podcast everything went black and if you're listening to this then you know what it's all about Thursday is Necro Thursday where uh, I co-host a horror podcast with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. Now the difference between Necromaniacs and Horror Wolf is that Brandon's got interviews. He's got all these different actors, filmmakers, whatever. Sometimes we're guests on it, you know? And uh, his is very much heavily based in the interview and Necromaniacs is more of a uh, film review type of show by guys who don't know anything about filmmaking, obviously, so it's like, uh, <laughs> like a, bunch of, you know, a bunch of dudes who really don't know what they're talking about. We just know what we like, and uh, you know, we're trying not to hurt anyone's feelings, but we just uh, give our opinion about stuff. And uh, on Sundays, we have uh, Carl Hikara and Soul Knox. And his, his show is interesting, man. It's like music, weird fiction, the occult. But it's all under the veil of darkness. Would't you say? Yep.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a red linen like in between, like what he's talking about. but uh, yeah, very different subject, interesting guests. I just actually recorded a, an episode with him this Wednesday. Like I spend a Wednesday evening like talking to him because we had an idea for a while. Uh, topic that you will absolutely love. and I think people that are. Listening to the Necromaniacs and the Horror Wolf will dig it. I'm leaving it at that. Uh, oh. I don't know when it's coming out. What the uh, hell? Oh, man, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to keep my want, eyes want, open
0: then.
2: Yeah, I can't. Do you want me to spoil? No, Should no, I spoil? No, no, sorry,
0: sorry. I, 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 no, I, right. I don't want to ruin
2: it. <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying. Uh, it will. It has overlaps to stuff that has been done on Necromaniacs and and the, everything went black. Like Patreon, by the way, if you're not subscribed to the Patreon yet, please do so. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, so, but uh, yeah, like Carl had an idea to do something, and I'm like, oh, I think that has been done before. But how about this? So I, I up the ante. So yeah, there will be a connection, and uh, we will post something about maybe listen to that Necromaniacs episode first, and then like go to what we're doing. Yeah. Speaking of
0: crossovers, Carl and I are actually going to be doing like uh, kind of like a split seven-inch, uh, like hmm. back and forth project, collaborative project with uh, Carl Edward Wagner, the uh, oh nice a guy who is like criminally underrated especially with his long reach into horror movies and crime shows and um we're starting with uh in a lonely place a collection of short stories that he wrote that have been mm-hmm. has been recently republished and we're splitting mm-hmm. up covering a story the first one is going to be on uh well next week i'm doing a pilot episode just to talk about carlo wagner the first episode is going to be on soul knocks and then this from there on we're going to be alternating um you know it's not going to be every week but it's going to be stretched out over the next year probably of uh or year plus like we might we might end up end up doing his entire bibliography i mean i don't know i'm just going to leave it open wow yeah
2: nice so
0: that that's fun
2: yeah (laughs) for some people i mean i don't know Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah yeah The nerds, nerds in us. Like, <laughs> but, you know, Wagner really, like everyone, I mean, I love Robert E. Howard, you know, and, um, you know, I mean, Conan's great. Conan's the, the pinnacle. But Wagner's Kane character is, is I would say, uh, right up there, man. He's a very interesting character and very underrated. There have been no comic book adaptations that I know about. There's no movie things with it. But it's like such an interesting character, and it's um, it's like Conan and Elric, you know, because he's like a barbarian. Well, he actually is not a barbarian. He's just like this swordsman who also is into magic and sorcery, and he's immortal. So it takes place during all these different eras of some, you know, prehistory, and it's just dark. It has cosmic horror elements. It's got weird fiction elements. It's got the dark sword and sorcery stuff. And one of the coolest things is just the atmosphere. Like in the story I read last night uh, called The Dark Muse, he's talking about Cain being in the ruins of this city. And he's describing this place in a lot of detail because he actually was in this city when it was a thriving metropolis. You know that's that's the scale of this guy's like life and adventures and things like that. You know. Okay.
2: Yeah. Anyway, that's, I don't, uh, don't want to get yeah. too
0: far into that uh, tangent. We haven't even started the, today's show yet. So.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's uh there's a good segue here with like stuff being born out of the ruins of cities. Um, um, yeah. But uh, before we get into today's topic, I have to ask you a serious question, Mike. Okay. I asked you this one before and I hope you <laughs> I, hope, I hope you have the answer ready because Mike are you in the know are you really really sure that you know that Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with
0: <laughs> I, yeah absolutely I, I, I know that for a fact man I mean Wu-Tang were probably in my top three uh, hip hop bands
2: yeah, I have, to, I have to ask this because uh, not that anybody misses it. Like, If you're like, hanging out with me and you don't know that Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with, you can't be my friend. <laughs> 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 so yeah, instead of uh, black metal today, we're talking about black music, a thing that we have touched upon a lot of times in various episodes and since I'm watching uh, Wu-Tang and American Saga, the third and final season right now, which is streaming right now, um, I was like, okay, we really should do a rap episode now, and this is what we're going to do today.
0: Yeah, this has been a long time coming, actually. We've
2: uh, discussed doing this for a while, I think. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it's. I mean, this... Uh, I mean I did my research and spoiler friends out there we created a playlist which is about 4 hours by now and I think we only scratched the surface thanks yeah um this is such an influential genre of music so it was time that we like focus on that
0: Absolutely and uh you know it's I I I don't consider myself to be uh any kind of um you know, uh, aficionado of hip-hop music, but I really love hip-hop, and there's certain things I know about, certain things I don't know about. Uh, The one thing I can say is I am old enough to have experienced the birth of um, hip-hop to some extent, you know? I mean, I didn't grow up in the South Bronx or anything like that, but I grew up in the suburbs, the greater metropolitan area of New York City, uh, so there was a lot of the, you know, people that I knew that were a lot more adventurous than I was and, you know, courageous, brought back this music to the safe suburbs, you know, and I was able to experience a lot of these things as it was happening in some ways.
2: Yeah, that's, that's insane. Like, for me, you know, like, again, 10 years younger, it's like I... I became aware in the very, very early 90s when there was, like, a first German hip-hop... Like, there was German hip-hop before that, but there was one band called the Fantastischen vier which translates to the Fantastic Four. They actually stole the name and the logo from the Fantastic Four. And uh, they were kind of, like, fun, cringy, like dance rap in a way, you know, and they had like a hit, which was insanely big and that's how I became aware of, of like this music called hip hop and rap. But like, when I discovered it, that music was already like 15, almost 20 years in the making. And I like you said, it, it, it started like pretty much in the neighborhood for you, like not far away from where you live. Definitely not in the neighborhood I lived in, but uh, but yeah, yeah but not like, not far compared, like, to 8, 000, yeah. compared to the eight thousand. compared to the eight thousand kilometers from me, yes, yeah. It's it started
0: about an hour away from where I grew up. I guess. So yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I follow you. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. so how who how did that enter your life? Like, where did you discover this? This uh, the Germans? I I didn't even know oh. there was a scene in Germany that was like a hip hop scene.
2: Oh dude, like oh man. Like when I when I did that playlist, I was like, should I do like should I incorporate German rap yeah, music because add some I I, I want to hear it. Yeah, like uh, maybe maybe I do a second one which we we could add or something or just like put at the end. There's like it's funny because like you know, a lot of Germany doesn't have its own persona or like its own characteristics in a way we tend to like borrow let's air quotations, it's like borrow it from other cultures. Um, because like when you watch The Simpsons, the only Germans that you see are Bavarians and they yodel all the time. And like, that's like, we have some of those, but like mostly we copy the stuff, especially from America. And um, so the, the trends that happened in the last 40 years in, in rap music in America kind of also happened here. And uh, I mean, here's the connection to everything we did, like in the last three years of podcasting or whatnot, is that like in the 90s, something changed. And that 90s was the time when I got into it and that um, where music kind of became more serious. And so like the Fantastic Fear was like one of those radio hits that you had back then. The radio was playing all the time. It was the beginning of MTV, and they had like German shows on MTV, but I didn't see it back then. So when when Dida, that uh, it, it, it's her pretty much. That's uh, that's her. That's the translation Dida, uh, that girl over there, and um, that became like a number one hit in Germany. And all of a sudden, there were these clowns with like wide jeans, you know, like baggy jeans, and. Wearing, wearing baseball caps and but they were like, you know, like skinny white emo dudes pretty much. Um, but yeah, man, as a like a 12 year old back then, I was like, that was my shit. And uh, that opened like kind of the gateway to what, what so what is this rap thing? And yeah, and then like I took a dive, like a deep dive as I did with hip hop, like with punk and metal and hardcore. Um and I found out about all that stuff yeah but there is like a huge scene in Germany going on
0: I know there's like a lot of French hip-hop which I've heard yep. when I was over there and, and that sound there's something about hip-hop lyrics in French yeah. that sounds like super hard you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah so yep. I, I don't know any of the artists I just when I've the, the many times i've been to europe I, that stuff's been the, in the in the periphery and i'm like oh, i should check some of the stuff out you know
2: it sounds cool it's yeah it's um i think like people like mc solar from france they were like kind of the originators in the in the 80s 90s and uh they became big and the funny thing is right now and i mean like i I'm trying like I try to structure my my, my notes that I took because I, I actually teach this subject in school like in 10th grade in music uh, I do the history of rap in school and so I'm like trying to be in the know at what's going on and I always ask my kids what they're listening to because and that's that's a fact and maybe that's like why we're doing this is um in the in the uh, Wall Street Journal of two thousand uh, in an issue of two thousand seventeen, they did research on the most successful music in the world, and uh, in two thousand seventeen, hip hop was the first time it was sold more, or made more money than rock music, which combines pop as well. So, like the one single thing, rap music makes more money than pop and and rock together. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, nah, I, I could see it, man, especially these days. Unfortunately, no. the newer hip hop music is not to my taste. I have to be honest about that. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and that's 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 again a thing that why I thought it was good to do this episode is because for for times I said the same thing. And I was like, I judge people when they talk about like how the old wrestling was better than the new wrestling where they didn't even watch like the new stuff. And yes, there is like garbage wrestling and there is really good stuff. And that's kind of the same thing. If you look at the German charts or the American charts, the rap music that's happening there is mostly terrible. But it is, again, rap music is like an underground thing still. And there's so much good shit. And I will talk about like an artist that I found out about two years ago or three years ago which is to me the best thing going on in rap music right now. And I will name a record later on. And I know when you will put it on and you will put it on, you will absolutely love it.
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm missing out honestly, because um, like I my experiences these days with newer hip hop is at the, the Muay Thai gym. You know, we, they play that mm-hmm. a lot while we're training and jumping rope and stuff. And you know, it's like, there's like, Younger people there, and they're into a lot of that mumbly stuff. And um, you know, the guy who owns the gym is like, you know, big. Actually, he loves. He's French, actually. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jean, and um, Spider is his name, actually. But he's <laughs> uh, he knows a lot about the French stuff. He likes rock music. He likes all everything. He's a really well-rounded guy. But he, you know, we we're always playing that at the at the gym. And now mm-hmm. uh, some of it's cool. But I I do suspect that there's this underground that I'm completely missing, and I'm definitely interested in
2: checking it out. Yeah, I tried to incorporate into the playlist some newer stuff. So if you like uh, listen to the playlist out there, also you might like there's stuff from the last forty years that I put in there. Um, so what I I wrote down like some some notes on the various. Um, <laughs> Uh, of the various stages, so the 70s, 80s, 90s, the L's, double and the modern stuff. A lot has changed, and, well, it is, to me, hands down, the, I think, most influential thing that is culturally happening in the world. And I don't mean necessarily that the influence of American rap, I mean, the birth was there. But rap music is, like, you can find it everywhere. Like, there's, like you said, the French scene is really strong. There's a lot of British hip-hop. And everything has really, like, characteristics of their very countries. Um, But there's nothing more influential when it comes to the language, the way the kids speak nowadays, the way that people dress, and that general appeal of things is, like, nothing is, like... It has been ever since rap music and the hip hop culture made its way onto the map in the mid 70s. Yeah, as far as like newer stuff for
0: me, like I, you know, I like, you know, Vinnie Paz and like, you know, Jedi Mind Tricks and, you know, MF Doom, but that's not even new anymore. That's like old. That's old shit.
2: Yeah. You know, so there's like new stuff I need to hear. Luca, L U K A H, Luca, big Luca from Memphis, Tennessee. His record, Why Look Up, Gods in the Mirror, an almost anti-religious rap r- record. Um, it has everything I love about rap. It's stark, the voices are great, the lyrics are fantastic. He, to me, is the this is the best rap record that has come out for me since the early days of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, that title
0: is almost like uh, Alistair Crowley uh, uh, Thelemic uh, sort of concept. You know what I mean? Yes. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And there's, there's there's good shit, man. So how should we tackle this? Should we start at the beginning and talk yeah, about, well, it, about you, the Yeah, well, you kind of
0: went into how you got into it, unless you want to add to that. Yeah. And I, I could talk about how I got into it, you know? Yeah, dude, please. Yeah. I mean, do you want to you want to expand on what you said?
2: No, I mean, uh, the, uh, I mean, it was to me. It was like the shitty radio music, and then I found out about the German rap scene, and then like the mid '90s happened, and MTV happened, and like I said many times, uh, I had the, the the VCR programmed to record uh, your MTV raps on Mondays, uh, one hundred and twenty minutes on Tuesdays. And had Bringer's Ball on Thursdays. And that was, uh, then That those were my church hours. Watching these shows, conducting like videotapes, you know, like two VCRs hooked together. Make their make your own mixtapes. Um, yeah, and I mean, that, that was 93, 94. And that's when the Wu-Tang Clan happened. And then everything after that, like, is different for me because Wu-Tang Clan is... Next to New Model Army, Depeche Mode, um, like stuff like Emperor, you know, like the most influential stuff that ever happened in my life. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So, so for me, like back in the '80s, like I, I was born in the Bronx, which is, uh, you know, the birthplace of hip hop. But I grew up in a small town in the suburbs outside of the city. You know, my parents, though, I mean. It was kind of this deal, like that part of uh, upstate, no, no, it's not upstate New York. Upstate New York's like Albany. It's like uh, people that live in New York City refer to everything north of the Bronx as upstate. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> like I only live, I only grew up like an hour outside of the city and maybe about 45 minutes or so from the Bronx. And um, so yeah, I, I grew up in this like really safe, small town that was, very unremarkable it was mostly italians and uh irish people we had a couple of uh, uh we had two jewish families that lived there um like one or two latino types like puerto rican people uh, i know of only two black families that grew up there so that, that that's kind of like very middle class like maybe uh working class slash you know type of vibe. You know, and uh, you know, on you know, it's no surprise that that town actually turned out big for Donald Trump in the uh 2016, Mm. 2020 elections. So but that's yeah, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) So (laughs) very very Republican, very right wing kind of town. You know, everyone was like uh construction workers, some people worked for IBM, you know, that kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Um this kid, Will Suarez uh, this Puerto Rican da- guy that I went to high school with, he came back. I think a lot of his family lived in the city, so he he's the guy who presented Run DMC to everyone, mm-hmm. and that was the first like hip hop music I heard. There was another another girl that uh, I have to mention as being s- and someone who introduced urban culture to us out us hicks out in the suburbs. And um, she was one of these, like, 80s Madonna, like, look-alike women. You know what I mean? Girls. Mm-hmm. Actually, girl. Straight up girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the sunglasses, the hair, the lipstick, like, the outfit, you know, chewing gum. Like, just, I had such a massive crush on her when I was, like, 16 years old. And uh, for obvious reasons. I've, I'm, to this day, I am a huge Madonna fan, to this day. You know, I like all of her material that she's put out, but especially that stuff in the 80s. So, you know, she was into that kind of disco girl stuff, but also hip-hop. And that's when I started hearing Run DMC. And the the thing, of course, you know, being into, like, heavy metal and punk and hardcore, uh, Rock Box and King of Rock were, like, mm-hmm. the two tracks that had guitars in it. And I was like, this sounds like... Like the guitar riff in Rockbox sounds like a Judas Priest uh, guitar riff to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what... Because, you know, I'm a young kid. Most everyone's white around me. And I'm like, oh, well, well rap and hip-hop, it's it's not really for me. You know, it's like meant for, for you know, black people or like, you know, Latin people, like urban youth, like that sort of thing. But that's when I first started really experiencing the music was to run DMC. Uh, but then when I went away to college in Boston, that's when I became more like sort of into street culture, I guess is for lack of a better term, you know? And that's when yeah. I heard uh, the BC boys uh, licensed to ill, which of course that's the perfect gateway into hip hop. Cause it's like a crossover with hardcore, which I was like into at the time and Mm hip-hop and it also had just like this new york city feel to it you know what i mean and and it's just like i was able to relate to it because by then uh, i had you know made my own forays down to new york like i had big sneakers you know i was wearing a baseball hat backwards you know (laughs) like i had Mm -hmm. i had that whole thing like that metal hardcore crossover kind of vibe going on like i had been to some shows and stuff like that so suddenly the beastie boys involvement with hip-hop a light went off where i was like Mm -hmm. hip-hop and rap is like urban punk and a lot of the people that you ran into like for example leeway like eddie sutton like the dude looked like he dressed like he was a you know like a b-boy basically Mm -hmm. so a lot of it for me had to do with music and for be- lack of a better term, fashion, you know, because I started mm-hmm. thinking that stuff was really cool. Like the whole look, you know, the, the the Adidas, like running suits, like track suits, like stuff like that. Like that was entering into my like uh, fashion sense, I guess, you know. So, yeah, that's that was my like intro. And then I went back and I started checking out because uh, you know, now I lived in a, in a city, Boston, not the city, but a city. The city, mm-hmm. of course, is New York. <laughs> um, so, so I'm living in a city, uh, and there's all access to all kinds of stuff. So I started checking out like Sugar Hill Gang, Curtis Blow, uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, and uh, you know, Africa Bombada, you know, Planet Rock. And Now, Thank I know you. before anyone gets crazy, I know that Africa is had his problems with sexual misconduct, but I did not know that in 1987. <laughs> so, he was just some obscure figure out there who had connections to gangs and the Zulu Nation and, like, all that sort of stuff. And the song The Message by Grandmaster Flash was, like, just seems so different dark and it had this like very intense like vibe to it so that was kind of like um that music is what even though it was older it came out before all this stuff it kind of hooked me you know then i heard schoolie d from philly and that just had this like druggy like criminal like vibe to it which i was like really into so yeah
2: yeah, it's again. It's like funny. It's because you were like the Beastie Boys for you, the Fantastic Four for me. It's like the white guys doing what the what the black kids did, made it appealing to us, and then we followed back. And it's like uh, an ongoing thing that like people talk about. Is like, is that like black music that white people stole from them? And I mean, yeah, of course uh, there was money to be made. And for example, the Sugar Hill Gang, like straight from the get go, they had the first ever. Rap music hit in 1979 with Rapper's Delight and they were a fucking casting band, you know, like there was a producer. She was she saw what's was happening in, in the Bronx, like at the block parties. That's where the, everything originated. And she said, like, oh, there's money to be made. And that's like when you watch the video for Rapper's Delight nowadays, that is exactly where everything started, like the disco era. Where you had disco records and you had someone to like in the block parties, you had the MC to hype the party. And they pretty much she combined it and had like Rapper's Delight. She stole some of the traditional like lyrics that people use, like for example, do the hip, hop, the hippity, hop, you don't stop. That was all stuff that the kids in in the in the blocks like they started out with. And she made a profit out of it, and all of a sudden, like rap music was out in the open, and a lot of white kids or like white people were in, was it, were into it? And I mean, the Beastie Boys—they were underground kids. They come from the hardcore punk scene. They like, they weren't like, oh yeah, it's just like a stuff that we can rip off. But like, they felt where it comes from. That's always the feeling I had. See, that that's the thing about like
0: um, New York City in general is, uh, you know, well, well, MCA was like from, he, it's the, the breakdown of those guys is like that the, the other two guys were like Manhattan, like kids, you know, which were like, their parents probably had good jobs and they lived in like nice neighborhoods and things like that. And MCA was like out in, um, from like Marine Park, like way out in Brooklyn. I think, I think that was the neighborhood he grew up. I know he went to Monroe High School which uh, mm-hmm. some people I know went there. And um, when he passed away, that was like a big thing, like in that neighborhood. So, um, but they were like, it was like the street culture um, mixing pot of cultures. Because, you know, New York is like, every nationality lives in New York. Everyone's like kind of together sometimes there's racial tensions, you know, whatever, but also it's like, everyone just is sort of together, you know? And like the fact Uh, that the beastie boys are like these three Jewish guys, you know, (laughs) like hip hop is like this, this mainly black and Puerto Rican like culture at the time. And hardcore was like, there was like black people, white kids, like, you know, I mean, look at the bands from that era. It was uh like, all different types of people, a lot of lat- Latinos were involved in in hardcore music. And I guess that's the thing that I started realizing about it was like, you know, the the vibe of the whole thing was kind of very similar with different extremes involved. You know, like, like yeah. hip hop and rap was, like those block parties were like DIY shows in some ways you know what i mean sure it's like a akin similar to diy like hardcore shows and and uh like the involvement of the people is like very very grassroots like very very like street level you know and that's and that's kind of the thing i started digging about it was that because you know myself being in somewhat involved like musically but more as a spectator at that point going to shows and experiencing music and all that sort of stuff to me it had like a Yeah, there was like this this commonality that that appealed to me.
2: Yeah, this this is absolutely like what I see too. Especially when you see that like punk punk told us or like showed us that you don't have to be a pro player to do something that is meaningful. You just go out there, teach it yourself, DIY and do it. That's the same way you put up labels and put up shows like the comparison you just did. And I mean, they like in the ghetto in in the Bronx back then, they don't they didn't have like a lot of money for instruments and whatnot. So they made something from from vinyl to make have a party and have like a hype man. Like hyping up the party until DJ Cool Herc and uh, DJ Grandmaster Grand Wizard Theodore, they invented scratching, like with a with a cross cutting between two records to just have like that one thing. That's like a it's an absolute stroke of genius, which gave birth to everything that is rap music today. I mean, sampling has had been a thing back then. But to them, like flipping, which is like a term that they use, if you like sample something and you use tracks, beats, or bass lines and pretty much you're updating the classics. That's what they call flipping. Um, that's like a thing that like hardcore punk does too. Like you take riffs that have been there before, you just play them way faster and maybe not as complicated. You just do whatever suits the feeling that you have and. Yeah, and that's why how they gave birth to like one of the pillars of hip hop culture with like DJing and scratching. But it
0: it wasn't until uh, you know the '90s that I really dug in, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the '90s uh, hip hop with like the Wu Tang Clan. Like the Wu Tang Clan were were the most important band for me, honestly, man. As far as like stuff I loved, like it really. Yeah. And, and once again, a lot of it had to do with fashion, too. I know it sounds weird yeah. to say that. Like, like those guys were wearing, like, camo pants and, like, hoodies and, you know, boots and everything. And that was, like, yeah, that was, that was like, how I dressed, man. Like, I, I was, like, in the 90s, it was all about camo and hoodies and, like, Carhartt, you oh. know? Yeah. And, like, Carhartt, like, ski hats and stuff. And that was exactly, like, the vibe they had. And, um... yeah. You, know, you can imagine these guys driving around in like a white van or something, you know, and that was yeah. kind of like what appealed to me about the Wu-Tang. And they were just so and also their whole all the comic book references and the martial arts movies references and the embracing of just that that whole element of of uh, culture, you know, like references to like Tony Stark and Doctor Doom and all that kind of stuff is what really appealed to me about them.
2: Hey, dude, man. And that's like, I re- that's what I remember, man. Like, I remember my first introduction was on a 120 minutes show. They had, like, the host was also called Dr. Dre, not mm-hmm. the Dr. Dre, but also Dr. Dre. Right. And they had the, they had the Wu-Tang Clan in there, mm-hmm. and they were, like, talking, and back then my English wasn't that good, so I didn't really understand what they were saying. But then they were playing the videos for uh, Cash Roots, everything around me, and The Mystery of Chess Boxing. So you had them in masks with their grills. Yeah. The the, lo- the lo-fi quality, you know, it was dark and mysterious. And it checked this exact same boxes in me that the horror movies in the 90s did and black metal did. So it has like this mysterious dark brooding atmosphere that i was like so like i fell in love with that instantaneously and i'm still to that day to this day and uh they just had the fucking image like you know like back then the rap and hip-hop that was played on 120 minutes was like i mean there was already stuff like dust fx and 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 more serious shit like the far side and and these kind of bands, which I dug more than like the 808 beats 80s rap, which is cool, but I like the more serious stuff. But then, yeah, like you had death metal and then black metal came and upped the ante when it comes to like being serious. And that's kind of what the Wu-Tang Clan brought to the table in hip-hop and rap. And then there's all the solo
0: records. Like there's the, the proper oh, uh, <laughs> the proper Wu-Tang releases which are great, where they all get together, but then everyone had their own their own side things, their own solo records. You know what I mean? Like like Jizza and Ghostface Killer, you know Method Man, yeah. RZA, Raekwon, Old Dirty Bastard. Like you can go. It was almost. It was funny. It was like exactly like comic books too, in some ways. Yeah. You know, where, you know, the the Avengers and there's like Captain America and Iron Man and all this other stuff that was like. They're all Avengers, but then they all have their own
2: series, you know? Yeah, on the crossovers, that's exactly the thing. Like, for example, the Rake 1 record was together with Ghostface Killer. And then, again, Ghostface's debut was with Rake 1. And then they had You God and Cappadonna. And they were, like, intertwining everything all the time. And now, I don't know, like, do you watch the Wu-Tang Clan show? Like, in the Wu-Tang and American Saga? I saw the first uh, season. Now, I got to catch up on the other two, though. Yeah, dude, like, do it, please. Because the second one is the one where they actually formed the Wu-Tang Clan and recalled 36 Chambers. And then it explains how, like, what a genius the RZA was because he laid out, like, it's it's explained that they, um, like, he had he had, like, a business idea to it, which was insane. Because he said that they will... Like all the labels wanted to have all these guys, and he said, "We will like they say diversify your bonds." So like he pretty much sold every record, like had every artist signed to another label, and then they made a plan over three of the run of three years that every quarter of a year a new record comes out until they until they reunite to do the second Wu Tang record, which is unbelievably surreal. To have like some some kids from Staten Island think that far in advance. Well,
0: that, that I was also going to bring up the fact that they were from Staten Island, which I thought was uh, was pretty interesting because um, you know I, I don't think of Staten Island. Well, now I do. You know, Chow Lin. but uh, like I don't think of Staten <laughs> Island as like a a hotbed of uh, cultural activity. To be honest, you know what I mean. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that fa- well, old, old dirty bastard's a Brooklyn guy. And yeah. the rest of the guys are from uh Staten Island. No wonder yeah. they want to call it Shaolin and not use the you know, Staten Island's kinda of like the lesser of the five boroughs. Yeah. Uh you know. Sorry. Apologies to anyone <laughs> out there who's on some uh, some so, some great people are from Staten Island, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I particularly dislike Staten Island, so there you
2: go. Mm-hmm it's um it's just like kind of like when you when you want back then when the first like the second wave of black metal happened and you had immortal like creating like their own world you know like storytelling in a way yeah and and you had the references to everything that's kind of what they did too so like every like the the places had different names killer hills and shaolin and and then uh, like uh the shadow boxing thing and everything. And that's so cool because it has like this, this overarching story and a narrative that intertwines. And um yeah, dude, like I remember when all these all these first records came out. I like I ran to the store as soon as I heard there's a new one, bought the C D and um I mean every like back then Method Man was the biggest star. Like his Tikal was the first Wu Tang solo record, and it became like instant, instant like big success. And then it took time, and there was some jealousy within the Wu Tang Clan because they bought a mansion where they lived together, and RZA like started producing all the records. But then he like he didn't have like the proper ideas to do like one record after the next, so there was jealousy within the Wu Tang Clan, but um, which made them thrive and. Operate their own product together with the RZA. And that shit that came uh, came out back then was crazy. And I remember that everybody was way into the old Dirty Bastard. And to me personally, that's my least favorite of all the first solo records. Yeah, the ODB stuff is like just derelict.
0: Like, you know, like I, I, I appreciate it on this kind of like grimy, like derelict style, you know. Yeah. but my uh one of my my favorites of the solo records is um definitely takal and uh liquid swords the uh Gism, yep. and, and it's that intro
2: i remember yeah, I, I was
0: i was working at the Newberry comics warehouse in boston in Alston at that point and um uh they played it it's not like when it came out like th- this had already been out for for a bit but someone—the first time I heard it, they were playing it in the warehouse, and that intro with the um, Shogun Assassin clip—I
2: got yeah. like—I
0: got like chills, man. And I was like, man, this is like—I got—I have to get this like right right away. So, um, yeah. you know, the coolest thing was one one of the perks of working there is you got a pretty pretty heavy duty discount on records. So I bought the Liquid Swords uh, CD on uh, mm-hmm. pay, on payday. So, uh, I took my, uh, meager earnings (laughs) and, and spent, spent some of it on, um, on
2: Liquid Swords. This is my all time favorite rap record ever. The Liquid Swords is to me the, the, the perfect rap album. And the cool thing is like later on, that was one of the first things that I was looking up when I had internet access was, uh, so where are these samples from? And like you just said, it's the Shogun Assassin, which is a movie which has been cut together from the whole show, which is uh, the actual show is called Lon- Lone Wolf and Cub. And it's pretty much what The Mandalorian is right now, just like in the Shogun world and really old and very brutal. And I just scored like a new Blu-ray release um, of that. And I'm really stoked to finally watch it properly because I only had like RIP VHS copies, which were terrible, and with German dubbing. Um, But yeah, like the Jizzer record is so incredible and so dark. Um, Yeah, it's uh, every, every one of their records has like a theme. So like the first break one was focused around Tony Montana and Scarface. And they always had like various samples. And being a movie nerd and show nerd, that like it all made sense what they did. Yeah, totally. And the artwork
0: too, man, was killer. You know, it's like yes. it's like some '90s style like comic book artwork. You know, like Image Comics or yeah. something. It was so cool. Yeah. Man, you
2: know? dude. And like, 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 a, like, I can't give enough praise to that to that Wu Tang show because the the third and like unfortunately final season. Is now it's it's focusing on okay the Wu Tang Clan is there and everybody like they are successful they're the one guy just started Wu Wear so they had the first store and then every episode focuses on like one of the characters and how their solo endeavor came together, and the the ODB episode is like a complete art episode it's insane because it's um dude like it's not Spike Lee. But it's one of the like one of the more more famous black directors who did black movies, and he directed the episode for the for the old dirty bastard, which plays in a in a swing club in the in the seventies or something. Oh wow! It's Damn. it's it's really out there. Like they they nailed it, and yeah, everybody out there, if you back the Wu Tang Clan, go out of your way to watch that show, man. Yeah, I got to catch up on that,
0: man. For sure. Now, Shogun Assassin—that was something. It's—I'd already seen the movie before um, Liquid Swords came out, so I, I picked that up like immediately, man. Because I—I was—I mean, as you know, I'm very much a big fan of like you know, kung fu movies and you know, samurai films and all that martial arts, post Bruce Lee like stuff, and um, and the Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, would had been a adapted by frank miller into comics oh yeah yeah Yeah, i remember So i I had a a whole pretty much the entire thing man and um so then the movie shogun assassin i rented that on vhs one day and i remember i saw it in a movie theater at one point and um i was all about that man so when i heard that intro and and it's the context you know like, or he's like, his mind is, you know, infected. By infected devils. by devils. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, man, this is so cool. You know? I was, was just, like that, that's what really was like, all right, man, this is like probably one of the greatest records of all time, you know? Yeah. Unbelievable.
2: And it's so insane to like have this again, like I said, the... The, the, the question what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, like, is it, does this music respond with people like us because we were born like this? Or is it like, are we because we listen to this kind of music, you know? Um, because at the same time, man, like, I mean, yes, the 80s, they, it started out at this, like, okay, we're scratching, we're producing songs from from stuff that we sample until the Roland TR 808 was uh, introduced, like the drum computer, and then you had like all like pretty famous is like the uh, the first Easy E tracks or NWA, where you had like the 808 beats, Ice T. Um, that was the time when like it was more party rap, and then was the beginning of gangster rap. But then in the in the 90s, everything exploded and r- rap like rap took over you had the infamous east coast versus west coast beef between notorious big and puff daddy on the one side and on the other side you had uh dr dre and 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 uh uh, the snoop dog and tupac and then when biggie got shot and and tupac got shot like the media focused on it, like people focused on the burning churches in Norway, so it was like not as mass appealing probably as black metal was. Uh, like it was more mass appealing than black metal was, but kind of like the same thing in the nineties. Everything changed. Yeah. Well, I think probably the first
0: uh, artists to bring a level of sophistication to it were uh, was Public Enemy, though. You know what I mean? Like yes. in the late eighties yeah. and into the nineties, because. Like even like they had this like almost industrial like sound. You know, mm-hmm. like their their beats were just like a little faster. There's like all this noise and, and uh the lyrics had this uh you know uh, political bent to them. And uh you know, Chuck D was like a visionary, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and they had that if militant think, like yeah. S one Ws, you know, this like very dangerous vibe.
2: To white people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were associated with the Black Panthers and they had them in the videos and they were like, we're like, this is a threat. This is not just like we're telling. I mean, like the message is to me is the epitome of like, we're in the ghetto. This is how we live, everybody. And Rapper's Delight is like, hey, white people, here's something new. Uh, maybe you want to give us your money as well and ever since then you had that split between the serious voice from the ghetto or the voice of the voiceless and you had this uh, let's let's make a lot of loot which then in the 90s also exploded because all of a sudden all the rappers became big players every mediocre mid-card rapper became like a, a like a, a, a hot thing of the day and made some money the clothing brands. And I mean, dude, like look at it. I just looked it up again in the top 10 of the richest musicians worldwide. How many rappers do you think are in there or people that come from the rap background, the top 10 richest musicians of of the, of right now? Well, probably, I think there's a
0: few in there like a guy like, well, at one point, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about this guy's music. I think he's a fool. But uh, Kanye Kanye West is probably in there, I yeah. imagine.
2: Yeah. He's he's not in there anymore. Not in the top ten because, well, spoiler, you lost all your sponsors, you dimwit. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's not in there anymore. But, um, yeah, so uh, it's a pretty wide top ten. Dolly Parton is at uh, number ten with a net worth of $657 million. Number nine is Celine Dion. Bono is number eight. Uh, Madonna is number seven, $850 nice. million. Um Someone, Herb Alpert oh, from yeah. The Brass Band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, I, I heard of him. He's, yeah. he's number six. Number five, Sean P. Diddy Combs. Right on, man. Good. Net, net, net worth $1 billion. That's sick. Uh, Number four, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Number three, Paul McCartney, 1.2 billion. Sir Paul McCartney. uh, Sir Paul McCartney. (laughs) Number two, Jay-Z. Ah, okay. Yeah. 1.5 billion, but, I mean, he owns, like, a label, and he's also married to Beyonce, and I think that uh, is part of his, like, success as well. And number one, I didn't know that is Rihanna. She's oh. the richest musician in the world with one point seven billion as a net worth right now. Right <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, I'm mean, rap and hip hop, and you have like I mean, people that used to be in the top where, like you said, Connie West, you had Dr. Dre in there, uh, because Dr. Dre invented beats, the fucking earbud like uh, you know the headphones and yeah. he sold them to to like apple and it, it's like again we like we recently touched on the uh, american dream thing like look at the story and watch uh, if people don't know the story go out of your way to watch straight out of which is a great movie about nwa and it shows like how dr dre became the multi-millionaire entrepreneur that he is today it's
0: funny uh mentioning Kanye West, right after Public Enemy. Um, yeah, you know, yes, it's funny because yeah. like you know in America, you know racism is like baked into our society, man. You know I, I it, you know anyone out there who is like, uh, I mean I don't, I don't think we have too many like right wing types that listen to this, but I think most people are. If you if you look a little bit deeper into American society. You know, you you can see that racism is, is baked into it. You know what I mean? And and it might not mm-hmm. seem obvious to a lot of white people because they've just grown accustomed to, oh, this is how it is, you know? And um, Chuck D and Public Enemy are a direct response to that. You know, like their whole yep. thing is about, you know, bring it, having this discussion like out in front of everyone, being angry about it, And trying to empower themselves, you know, and then twenty years later, thirty years later, you get a fool like Kanye West out there with all of his like anti-semit anti-semitism and swastikas and all this bullshit, man. And I'm just like, what a fucking just complete turnaround and embarrassment, you know, to everyone, to himself, to his culture and to even just the united states really like it's just what a fucking embarrassment that guy is
2: yeah. you know
0: i got to be honest and i know people might find this hard to believe i have no idea what his music even fucking sounds like honestly you know what i mean i've never listened to a yeah. kanye west song you know i've always considered it to be some like bullshit pop music or whatever you know what i mean mm. but nowadays like, the guy is a complete fool.
2: Yeah. And the, the, the difference is between, like, the, the OGs, like Ice Cube, Ice T, Dr. Dre, and uh, all the others, Jay-Z. You know, like, Jay-Z was born, and, and Puff Daddy were born into, like, rich families, but, like, most of them came from the ghetto. But Connie was already born, like, born into a rich family, Um the first time I saw Kanye was at the Chappelle show, episode two. Uh, in the beginning, he always had musical guests. In the, in the first episode, it was uh, uh, was Talib Kweli and um, Blackstar. So uh, m- 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 uh, most deaf. And uh, in the second episode, it was Common, and Common was rapping, and in the background was a young rapper that he like plugged, and it was uh, Kanye West. And so the first Connie record is a really good hip hop rap record. Later on he tried to be really arty, artsy fartsy and, and and kind of represents what the the two thousands brought, which is called in rap and hip hop the bling bling era, where it was about lifestyle, the pop music crossover like you know all the rappers like had their own clothing brand they had their own champagne they wanted to act in shows and shit like that and kanye represents this to me like the you know the ying and the yang you have like the people from the ghetto and they use rap as their means of communicating how they are how life is for them and you have the people that do it because they think they can be multimillionaires through it yeah yeah
0: but the thing is the point though and I think Chuck D was probably on this trip too is like it's not even about money man cuz like honestly no. in this in the culture here and may you know things have definitely changed for sure a little bit but you could be a black family or a black man and have a nice job make a lot of money but that doesn't stop the cops from pulling you over you know what i mean yes. and yeah. And, and, you know, beating the hell out of you or killing you. You know what I mean? I mean, just like, yeah. look what in the last few years, how many people have been murdered by the police? You know, it's insane. Yeah. Man. It's a pandemic. Yeah. And I can attest to some white privilege, too, man. Like I, uh, I don't know, a long time ago, I think it was the first Tombs tour and we were in Philadelphia and um, we were staying with some people that lived out in West Philly. Which is like, you know, kind of like a marginal neighborhood. And uh, I took a walk to get to go to like a convenience store. And on the way back, this uh, police cruiser rolled up. And, you know, and we had like black hoodies on and like, a, I had like an army jacket and boots and all that stuff. And my hood was up. So, you know, I looked like a criminal kind of, I
2: guess. Like so, a Wu Clan member.
0: Yeah. So the cop rolled up and he was like, asked for identification. And as I pulled out my wallet, a fucking knife fell out of my pocket. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the cop was like, oh, uh, you know, it's fine. I'm like, really? You know, like I I didn't say that to him, but in my mind, I'm like, as the knife fell out and the blade opened, I was like, oh, fuck. I'm going to, this guy's going to arrest me or like, you know, I'm going to end up having to go, go to the fucking jail or something like that. You know? And, uh, the cop was like, oh, there were some people that, uh, you know, fit a description. Uh, you know, we're, we were just checking it out. It's like, here's your knife back. And I was like, oh, holy man. shit. And I was like, telling this same exact story to somebody. And they were just like, dude, if you were black, they, they might have fucking murdered you on the street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, white privilege is a real thing, man. You know, and regardless of yeah. what all these like yokels out in middle America to say, it's 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 true, you know.
2: Yeah. Have you have you seen Straight Out of Compton, the movie? No, I gotta
0: be honest. In general, I'm not a big uh biopic guy, you know what I mean?
2: But is is yeah. it worth checking out? It is. Okay. I think it's really it's really well done. I mean it has ice cube, son playing ice cube, which is cool because they look alike. And it's produced by Dr. Dre. It's like one of the better ones. There's like one on Tupac and I don't, I don't care for that. But like, there's a director's cut of the, uh, I mean, there's a the regular cinematic version. It's like oh, an hour forty or something, and the director's cut is like two and a half hours long. Oh wow! It's abs- it's absolutely worth like checking it out. It's pretty accurate, and there's like one scene when they go into the studio to produce the first record, and they just go outside and eat something, like catch some sunlight, and like three five O's roll up. And like they have to kiss the curb, you know, until the white Jewish producer comes out and tells the police to fuck off. And and then they're like, okay, okay. And that's then then the ice cube starts like, I have an idea for lyric. And that's when they write, fuck the police. And that sh- like that that scene is always to me like I'm I, I I've always I don't know why. Like, I mean, we here in Germany, we have like a racist problem towards more like the Turkish, Muslimian people. We don't have that many black people here, not in the amount of America. And so the racism here is a bit different. Um, but I've always been, maybe because I was always a rap fan, like uh, this, this always shocks me and movies like just mercy or, um, the, uh, uh, when they, when they see us, the, the five part show about the, the central park five on Netflix. It's always like that brings tears to my eyes, man, because it makes me so fucking angry towards like white people, and that scene as well. It's like I always show that in school as a as an example of what like black people have to face in America sometimes.
0: So. Well, well, the other thing too in Europe, like the Turks and the you know Moroccans and you know the Muslim you know people were actual immigrants like they chose yep. to come to those countries like a, black people were brought here as slaves which is fucking yeah. he- heavy man and uh yeah. you know and to a certain extent it's like earlier on i was like you know i i get it like you know maybe i shouldn't be listening to this music because it's like my experience in life is different you know it's like i have i'm kind of come from uh you know my parents aren't rich but they they're you know, they they do they did well in life. Like, they're a solid, like, middle-class family, you know. And um my experience in life is just different, you know. Like, I don't... The cops don't want to, like, kill me, you know. Like, I, mm-hmm. I had a illegal knife on me and got pulled over by the cops and nothing happened to me.
2: So yeah, I can't man. even relate
0: yeah. to the experience of people that have to deal with that sort of anxiety. You know, just another yeah. quick story about, like, when I... Yeah, back when I lived in Brooklyn, there was a period of time where I was working on doing sound for movies or films, not even, I'm not going to call them movies, and I worked on uh, the pilot for a series called Fort Knox, and for anyone, any of you OGs out there who listen to this podcast, you could go back several years, and there's an episode where I have uh, the filmmaker and one of the actors on there, and... uh, one of the actors was on the verge of um, he was on the Luke Cage uh, Netflix show. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, he, he's like a real deal actor. Like he's done real shit. And I remember when we were filming that and it, we filmed it over the course of at least a week. And uh, I did all the sound. I mixed it like all that sort of stuff. And the actors like dudes were getting pulled over by the police. Like when we were like going to neighborhoods in Bushwick to film, you know, at certain points of the day, like that was like a concern about guys just getting harassed by the fucking cops all the time, you know.
2: It's real. Yeah, it's uh it's unbelievable, man, and it's like um that's that's where my issue is with modern days rap music and hip hop that um I mean, back to the thing with like, is there any good modern rap music? Yes, there is. And there's like still a lot of people that have something to say, but the general thing is that like rap music, and that's the thing that is most dominant in Germany is, um, is a justification to behave like a complete asshole and think you're still entitled to be successful. Which like means that um, I mean the the modern era rap, which we are talking about right now, is influenced by trap music. Do right. you know what trap rap is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So definitely. so like the uh, double or triple time hi hat yep. more synth, very dark, and uh, they call it mumble rap because all of a sudden all the vocals were like with uh, auto tune and like you couldn't really understand it. They were like all these rappers, little this, little that. And they all have face tattoos when they're 18 years old. And (laughs) and then they die of an overdose with 20. This is kind of the style that happened in America. And here, the, um, the more, well, gangster rap here is most, like not the white kids. The white kids, they still do like literary rap, you know, like talk about various subjects. But the gangster rap here is mostly, like, people that are from, like, Albania, Turkey, and, and Morocco. And they have, like, this shitty rap music now, which is, like, super cheaply done. And their, their bars that they spit are super slow, and it's just not good, and you put autotune on it. But it's, like, it's super homophobic. It's super anti-feminist. It's super... Uh, Super like pushy on like, yeah, if you, you like you don't have to go to school just like deal drugs and be violent and you can be a success. And I hated that like rap became this thing now, you know, like from, from where it started. There's this
0: one guy <clears throat> I saw this vice documentary on him and it was like and, th- and this this is one of the obviously a point of my week where I literally had nothing to do. <laughs> that i so mm-hmm. that i devoted time to watching this documentary about this fu- this guy um mm-hmm. i think is he's, he's like some scandinavian like white guy obviously mm-hmm. scandinavian like super white <laughs> cool lean i think his name is or little lean or some bullshit like that <laughs> and it was like the weakest stuff i'd ever heard in my life and never have i seen someone who needed to get his ass kicked more than this kid. You know what I mean? Like everything about him, like this happens with, with young people with me sometimes. Where I think like, <laughs> I see them and it's like, there's some, there's a sense where I just feel like I have to fucking destroy this person. You know what I mean? And And this yeah, guy absolutely. had that aura about him and I was like, Maybe this guy just should have got beat up a few times, and you know, I, I know like the Scandinavians aren't into like thuggery like that, you know. But mm. it would have done him a world of good. I know getting beat up did me a world of good, so maybe that would have been something even positive
2: in his life, you know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's um, and it's uh, like we have this issue now in school that. uh you know, like the the clientele of like that we have in school, and the kids um, that listen to rap and hip hop, and they change their style, the culture, the way they talk. Like this, this, this rap that they listen to, like the 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 just the actual factual language that they use is so retarded in a way that kids talk like this now, and also the white kids that consume this kind of music like fall into that trap. And uh, then the the, the, the old people in school are like, yeah, our kids cannot talk anymore. and, And they behave like idiots. Where does this come from? I'm like, yeah, you know. This is uh, the problem. is It's the cultural music that they listen to, and the old, like my old white cis teachers, they don't get what the issue is. Like it's like you cannot operate on a level like, oh, if you if you don't talk like normal people, you will get like an F in your paper or whatever. It's just like this. This is like rap music is their life. It's like the bigger influence than anything you can offer them. You can either embrace it and work with it and try to be modern or you can try to be a jackass and be like just corrupt them by like means of, you know, punishment or whatever, but it just doesn't work. And it's so crazy that rap music has this kind of influence now. Yeah, but also it's like young
0: kids are like going to go through shit, you know, like I mean, dude, I did it. I looked like and did things when I was in high school that I'm completely embarrassed by you know i dyed my hair i had stupid fucking mohawks and shit like that and it's like i would never dress like i would never do that now but i went through these phases you know so like a lot of these kids they probably you know feel some kind of empowerment from being rebellious like that i think i can relate to it and if you i don't know you start learning how to be in the world i guess once you get out of high school and if like you know, pass, life is, life is a pass or fail test, you know, if you can pass, great, if you fail, then so be it too, man, if you want to, you know, exist on some subsistent level, you know, and that, that's, that's, you know, that, that's, uh, just like a
2: Darwinist sort of way of, uh, looking at it, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. And there's like um there's again the comparison to the hardcore and punk scene. Like um a lot of like the rap music that is actually happening is like very outspoken political. It's like social criticism and it's like this is the way we live, this is our lives, and it's rebellious and everything. But um like in hardcore you have like jocks and you have idiots and like using I mean, you have right-wing Nazi straight edge in in, in Russia. You know, sure. like you have like there's German Nazi rap, so they're like rap like Nazis using rap music to appeal to like different like demographic. It's, I mean, it's music after all, and yes, it's it's an it's a, like it's an extension of who we are, and it helps us form us. So that's like. I mean, I, I don't judge these kids in school, you know, like I understand where it comes from. I judge the old people that don't try to like learn where the kids learn their stuff from. That's the oh, problem.
0: Yeah. yeah, definitely. You got to You got to sort of have some kind of understanding about it. But that's crazy, man. Like I didn't know that there was like Nazi rap music. That's that's yes. what fucking blows my mind, man.
2: It's it's like it's a complete antithesis. Like it's 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 a thing that should not be. You know, like yeah. here's music like from Black people, like from the ghetto, and you use it to like distribute white power. You know, like you already have like NSBM. Like please, like keep that shit to yourself. Yeah, there's a couple other. Uh,
0: yeah, well, of course, there's Gravediggers, which is like kind of like a side offshoot yep. of Wu Tang, because RZA is involved in it you know yep. Prince Paul uh Grim Reaper you know also known as poetic you know for mm. Quan that uh 6 Feet deep record is uh incredible that's like a yes. great record that came out in the 90s uh, one of the one of the other lesser known kind of horror oriented rap groups was Flatliners have you heard of them Oh yeah yes yeah. of
2: course yeah
0: Great. I only know that one record, USA, under Satan's authority. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they have other records out, but that's the only one I, I personally know. And yeah. it, it was like death metal rap. You know what I mean? It was like the death metal, the rap equivalent of death metal in some ways.
2: Yeah. You know I mean, so? we haven't even, yeah, sorry. In
0: some ways. And, and dude, it's like, like I think you're about to say something I'm going to agree with. Like we haven't even
2: really touched the surface of oh, the depth of the yeah, style the, yeah and also like that uh in the 90s again when rap and metal were the biggest genres where the crossover thing happened with like judgment Knights everything i mean public enemy we spoke about them and anthrax one of the first like rap metal crossovers aerosmith run dmc way before that but that was kind of different thing but yeah like look at i mean we spoke about like Chuck D and Public Enemy pretty much being punks from the way that they approached their thing. And like, look at Rage Against the Machine. They to me look like, okay, we need to have Public Enemy, but appealing to rock fans. So let's do this because Rage Against the Machine was also a casting band.
0: Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I, I was in the same room as uh, Chuck D once. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right really? Okay. Wow. Yeah.
0: We, um, we played Ozfest a number of years ago, and uh, Chuck D not, was um the frontman of Prophets of Rage. You oh that? yes, yeah. yes,
2: yes, yes. And they, they okay. played
0: Ozfest the same day we did, right? So mm. I was sitting in the in the um catering tent, you know. There's all mm. this food there, and I see like all these guys, you know, sitting at this table, like, and it was Chuck D. With with his like mm, his crew around him, and I was like, "Fuck, man, it's like Chuck D, man." You know, like, you know, should I, I going, you know, say hello to him or something like that? You know, and I was <laughs> like, "I'm like, nah, man, I got intimidated. I was like, I don't want to bother this guy. You know, he's like sitting down eating dinner or whatever. I'm like, yeah,
2: you know, it's 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 one of these things, you know, and that's what fascinates me so much about rap music, like the importance it has, like the whole hip hop culture." the importance it has on our culture and we live in now. And I mean, like the kids out there rocking like baggy hood, hooded shirts or like baggy pants that doesn't come from the champion hoodies that youth of today wore, you know, like the college right. jackets. It's like, it's hip hop culture. And I mean, they, they abducted like the, 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 the torn and torn jeans and the, the biker leather jackets that like Connie had, like in, in his collection and shit they stole that from punk and rock but like the influence is so immense and especially like the political power this music has and then you have like an act like completely diy and so authentic like public enemy and then flavor Flav does a show flavor of love where he's like <laughs> dating women it's, it's so surreal that shit like this happened. There's an episode of Cribs where they go to the Wu-Tang Clan house and, and, and stuff like this. It's like, that's how big this music became. And that's why, yeah, like why there are so many... I, I would argue that rap has almost as many subgenres as metal has.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt, you know. And one of the other really important differences, though, between rap and punk rock music is... Uh, Like hip hop people are not averse to making money, (laughs) which is like, dude, I'm like, that that's you know, being able to survive in this society requires money, you know, and it's like that's the thing that punks, oh, you know, we we can't commodify our music and this and that. You got some Ian Mackay, like you know, fucking, you know, uh, idealism, which. Now, all due respect, you know, Ian McKay is in a way different position in life than a lot of people trying to make music, like Rollins, for example, you know, versus Ian MacKay. Like, and yeah. I feel like there's like Ian McKay, like the super idealistic, irrationally, irrationally idealistic person. And then there's Henry Rollins, who's like the pragmatist. And I feel like hip hop is more like Rollins, where like, yeah. let's not starve. You know, let's actually yeah. thrive in life and not have to work a fucking job at a gas station and, you know, go on tour and come home with no money. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's like a key difference. And it's like, you know, some people might look at hip hop as being like, oh, well, it's commercial. But I'm like, yo, you have to make money. You have to live. And I would, yeah. I would rather make money And do what I want, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then, okay, I'm in this band and, you know, we're, you know, we're so anti-capitalist that no one can find our music and we play in, you know, basements of like feminist bookstores on tour. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) it's, it's one, one thing again, that I like the, um, in the like in the modern time rap, you know, like that started with trap. You've got like what people call the mumble rap. It's like um, there's also a scene called SoundCloud rap, which is like like giving through the streaming devices everybody could publish their own singles. So they don't yeah. work for albums. They have like individual singles, which is kind of like a punk rock thing to do. And uh, there's also a thing called emo rap if you believe it or not, but like oh, yeah. it's like they're very sentimental and some kind of dark. But um what I always like what are the, the, the comparison that I wanted to make is like um nowadays if you if you make rap it's not difficult to make some money of it but to have like rap that's actually worth something and means something it's difficult. And uh I always have a problem uh, when people like uh, in Germany, you say uh you're sitting in the already folded bed, you know someone made the bed for you right and um you know like when bands uh, to to make my comparison more a bit more clear, like when bands like baroness Kailessa, mastodon, when they broke big, when they like became global players, i didn't have a problem with them because they toured their asses off for years. Do I like kailessa no. Do I back Mastodon? Not really. I back John Dyer, like, basically. I don't like Mastodon, uh, Baroness that much, but they work their asses off. Yeah. But, like, they, they path the way for some kids to, like, jump in and just, like, hook their hook in and just, like, earn some money. And that's what kind of the feeling that I have with Kanye in comparison to Dr. Dre or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and, there, and then there's also the, uh, you know, the arguments be made that maybe the style is like completely tapped out, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, everything has its, um, rise and fall, you know? And yep. even though economically, uh, it's, it's viable, maybe creatively it's in the demise right now. You know, I don't, I, I don't even yeah. know enough about it to even, you know, back that statement up. Yeah. So if anyone has an opinion about that, please, <laughs> but, uh, I also want to mention Cool Keith and, you know, Dr. Octagon. I don't know if you ever got into Cool Keith. Yep, did.
2: Love it. Great stuff. Yeah, Uh, Dr. Octagon is awesome.
0: And, you know, you guys who are listening to this, you might think that we left out uh, the West Coast on this, but Mm -hmm. our playlist is representative of the West Coast. Like, we have a bunch of stuff on there uh, that's, you know, West, West Coast related. Yeah. But for me personally, man, you know, you know, i I will always represent New York City, regardless of what, where I live in the country and that style of hip hop music is always going to be like my
2: go-to stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm here, like, not that I lived in New York, uh, but, uh, it's just like the, 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 the flavor, the vibe. So it's of course there's like dark and gritty hip hop coming from the West coast as well but like the the thing that the 90s showed was like that the west coast was influenced by the g funk thing and That's the thing, like all the Dr. Dre productions are funkier in a way. Mm -hmm. I was never into that, but like when the first Snoop Dogg came out, I was like 110% into it. And then he had like that short movie, Murder Was the Case, that they gave me. That's a fucking dark song and a dark video. I back that, man. And it's like, it's so cool to see like Snoop Dogg still being like at the top of the food chain. Dr. Dre is still, like, being an important producer. I mean, you had, like, for some years it was Timberland and then it was Furwell. And you had, like, these flavors of the week. Uh, Influential, sure. Good songs, definitely. But Dr. Dre, he's, like, an OG and he's still important. Snoop Dogg is still around and he's still doing his thing. I think so would Tupac and Biggie would be the same thing. I never backed P. Diddy. Like, I always thought he was a douche. And like his music blew, like I don't get it. And uh, But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a thing that will last. It's based on such a small plate of, of ingredients with like the beats and the rap. And to this day, like in my black metal, I like it simplistic and not bombastic. And when you listen to Luca, like the one that I told you, it's like a good drum. It's the small bass and it's a good voice. And this will still in 20 years work. And that's the cool thing about rap. You don't have to be experimental.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, also, Ice-T, you know, like even though people might yep. know him more now as a heavy metal
2: singer, you
0: know, with body or, count.
2: Or as, or as a policeman in a TV or show, a which cop. is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that freedom of speech, but watch
0: what you say record, which came out in the late '80s, that's uh, yeah, one of my favorites. It's like one of the most offensive fucking records ever, man. Like I, I remember yeah. getting this record and be like, damn, this guy's going deep, man. Like with his yeah.
2: offensive lyrics and everything, I was like, damn, you know, like yeah. Hmm. Um, it's uh, to me one of the key figures that I always loved was Ice Cube. Like, to me, the whole NWA story, to me, one like, the best lyricist from them, um, The Predator, that record with Wicked on it, and it was a good day. It's like West Coast, that's flawless record, incredible, like, also good actor. I mean, like, he, he didn't want to take the vaccine, which, uh, well, <laughs> a lot of people did, but whatever, but, like, Ice Cube is someone i back. Um, one of the newer people that really made an influence, I think, was Tyler, the creator. Oh yeah, coming from Odd o- Future, his whole gang was uh, was insane. I always give kudos to Buster Rhymes for being a complete nut and uh, like, but like, I I liked his approach and like, lords of the new leaders of the new school and uh yeah so the thing is like people like like i mentioned before like the playlist is fucking four hours long and we didn't even scratch the surface i think i also have to
0: mention dialect too from new jersey oh yes yes like those guys had a a a tough go because they're 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 hip-hop guys you know what i mean but people who listen to the Melvin's like them. And I feel like a lot of their fan base are like white kids who like, you know, post metal or something like that. Yeah. And the fact that they it, worked with these kind of more, um, you know, rock oriented labels, as opposed to being on like uh Tommy boy or something like that, you know, worked yeah. against them, you know?
2: yeah, Um, yeah. Like, I I I, we didn't even touch. I mean, we could do like three episodes on them, but I think we need to wind down at some point. Um, (laughs) We didn't we didn't even talk about white rap because, like, I mean, we mentioned the Beastie Boys and there were bands like House of Pain that would be like famous. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, Eminem is one of the biggest stars in the world, but there's not a lot of like white international rap, except for maybe Vanilla Ice, who everybody takes serious. Not. well, yeah. Emin, Eminem, really is really respected
0: and actually is good. Like I I ju- yes. it's funny, yeah. man. Like I never took him seriously until like a couple of years ago and I know that's on yeah. me. That's like a my 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 quote-unquote bad, you know, but mm. um interesting stuff, man. And like I said in the beginning of this episode, I am not authority on any of this stuff, so I don't, you know, Um, They're very little things I know a lot about very few things and this is not one of the things I know a lot about so
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like uh, I mean, I don't know like how I come across but like I'm I'm really into rap music and hip-hop and like since I teach it in school as well It's like I try to know everything and that's why I need to give like a big pluck to uh, a show called hip-hop evolution which is four seasons on Netflix and every season has 10 episodes. So it's a very, very deep dive. That guy, man, like this guy, it was like a live project for him. And he pulled it off. Like he starts at the very beginning. He goes to, to the places where it started, talks to the right people. I don't know how he pulled it off, but he got everyone from, from Cool Keith to DJ Cool Herc, all these old cats, Grandmaster Flash. Then he goes, like, he focuses on various parts of America where it started. Then he goes like about the ghetto boys and, you know, like when gangster rap started, provocative rap and uh, Two Life Crew, The Scandals. He goes to the 90s. What happened? He travels to Europe shows the modern age. It's four seasons If you really are into hip-hop and you want to learn more That's like a mandatory thing. You need to watch hip-hop evolution four seasons Netflix. Check it out Yeah, it's actually really good. I've seen
0: not all of it, but I've seen some of it for sure. Yeah Yeah, <clears throat> Yeah, we should do um a Madonna episode
2: too. <laughs> hey Dude, like we need still need to do Prince and we need to do Madonna. I'm I'm 100 yeah, for that.
0: Maybe, maybe uh, Amy Winehouse too. i have always been a big fan of hers.
2: I'm not that much into her, but uh, like I can I can read myself into her stuff, and I mean I like her music, but I don't know.
0: What no, her music about is her. incredible, man. Like, and she's got a very yeah. sad story, and um, yeah. you know, when she passed away, I for like a month I had dreams about her. You know, and like her music was mm-hmm. like very
2: moving to me. You know, yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, I mean,
2: like the 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 parallel is here because uh, who to like we we spoke about it that the Sisters of Mercy had this ill fated tour with Public Enemy, and then uh, but then the Beastie Boys were the support band for uh, for Madonna on one tour.
0: That was way in the beginning, I think, too, which is cool. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Alright, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, some of you guys made it to the end. This is quite a bit. This is probably an, uh, an episode that might take two sittings to get through. So, thanks, everyone. Huh?
2: Tiger
1: style. Tiger style. <laughs> Tiger style. Yo. Huh? Huh? Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck Wu-Tang with. no yeah. know when they step outside, step inside uh-huh. the room. Dr. Dole, prepare for the boom. Bam! Oh, man! Ah, uh, slam! Man. I scream like Tarzan! I'll be tossing and forcing, my style is awesome. I'm in more family food than Richard Dawson. And the survey said, You're dead. Baby you flying guillotine chops Swap your fucking head. Mr. Who is that? Hey, yo, the yo, Who is back! Making niggas b- go. Chat, me fear, no one. Oh no, here come the Wu-Tang Shogun up to the right. ear drop the needle to the groove, I get screwed And I'm forced to fuck it up My staff carries like a pickup truck Cross the clear blue yonder See, the China trying to see slam tracks Like quarterback sacks from LT Now I try and test the rebel lioness Less since the birth, I earth slam the best Cause I baked the cake Yo, Fadolo, Bogart coming on through. Cool. Niggas, it's like, oh my God, not you. Yes, I come to get a slice of the in the pie. Rather do than die. Check my flavor, coming from the visa with the show for the razor. Who make me reminisce? True like danger. Who I'm rubber, niggas, it's like glue. Whatever you say, runs off me.